well. Um, so uh, we have um, been in a conversation the last several weeks. We've been looking at the question of who Jesus is. And, and mostly in here, as you know, we, we've um, uh, concentrated our time on what Jesus is teaching us, how we can how we can put into practice the things he teaches us uh, so that we can be better disciples and ultimately be uh, shaped into his likeness. So that's that's the idea that we we have normally we're normally about here. But but we've been looking at who Jesus is and our our conversation partner, the guide we're using as we as we try to summarize everything that the New Testament teaches us about who Jesus is is an ancient document called the Apostles' Creed. And so we've been looking at that. And so this is the Apostles' Creed. And uh, we've been looking at the middle section. It talks about who God the Father is, who God the Son is, and who God the Holy Spirit is. But we've been focused on the middle section about Jesus there, and we're just about to conclude it. So today we're going to look at the last section, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. So it's using some archaic language there. Um, I don't know why they bother with that. It was in Latin originally, so uh, when they translated it, why not come into plain English? But there it is. So from thence he shall come, that means... Uh, the, he is where he is, and when he comes from there, so what is he going to do? He will judge the quick and the dead. So the quick and the dead. Who are the quick and the dead? The quick and the dead are the living and the dead. We don't use the word quick like that anymore. Um, the only thing I could think of is there's a quick in a fingernail, but I don't, you know, people say, you know, you cut him to the quick or something, but I have never experienced that. It sounds painful, so that's the living part. So anyway, we don't use quick except in that sense. So, um, so uh, he will judge not just the fingernails, but everybody who's alive and everybody who's dead. So that's that's the uh, last part of the middle section of the Apostles' Creed, and so that's the part we're going to be looking at. And um, uh, so uh, there's a lot. Uh, like I said, we're, we're we're trying to summarize everything that's in the New Testament, and that's a big job because there is so much said about this in, in the New Testament. And um, so what we're going to be looking at today is just a section of a longer discussion Jesus is having. Um, in, in Matthew 21, Jesus is talking about uh, a problem that will occur after he's gone. So he's predicting some things that will come to pass after he has returned to heaven. So in it, he's, he says, um, uh, then if somebody says to you, look, here's the Christ. Jesus says, all right, here is the, here's the fundamental problem. Is God promised to send a Messiah? And God kept his promise. He sent me. But there, I'm going to be rejected. In a, in a couple of days, they're going to kill me. And then I will be raised from the grave. Uh, and and uh, I will, I will uh, ascend into heaven. And at some point in the future, I will return. But while I'm gone, that hunger for a political Messiah will not stop. People will continue to say, we need to have a Messiah. Not, the, not that Jesus guy, but we want our own kind of Messiah. One who will... Who will um, establish a political kingdom here on earth? He will. He will um, kick out the Romans, and he will ultimately restore Israel to its uh, national prominence that it, that they believed it should have. He said that hunger is not going to go away. People are going to keep doing that, and there will be false Christ. There will be false messiahs. People will periodically show up and claim to be Christ. And we know for historically that, that happened many times, but the two most prominent revolts were in 70 AD, 66 to 70 AD, and then again in the 130s AD, as people gathered up a, a group of people around them who supported them and said, this is the guy, you know, let's, let's hang our hat on this guy because he's going to kick out the Romans. And uh, both of those two times, and really every time, the Romans would crush 
those rebellions. And Jesus is talking about uh, the, the longer passage. Jesus is talking about all the suffering that will result from that. But in our passage, he says what to do about it. He says, if someone comes up to you and says, look, here's the Christ. If they say, look, here's the Christ, or he's over here, don't believe them. Don't believe them. He says, false Christs and false prophets will appear, and they will offer great signs and wonders in order to deceive, if possible, even those whom God has chosen. He says, that's going to happen. They're going to be you know, claimants to the Messiahship for the foreseeable future. He says, but I've told you ahead of time. So when that happens, remember, I, I gave you advance notice that this was going to happen. So when they say to you, look, he's in the desert. He's out, you know, the Romans don't patrol out there very often, and so it's a good place to gather your your supporters and, you know, kind of hide out in the, the bandit country. And then, you know, if they if, if somebody says, he's out there, you can ignore them, right? Or if they say, look, he's in rooms deep inside the house. If he's gathered with conspirators, you know, deep in the cellar or someplace where nobody else can hear what they're saying. If they tell you that, don't pay any attention. He says, don't believe it. He says, why? Why Why shouldn't you believe it? He says, just as the lightning flashes from the east to the west, so it will be with the coming of the human one. So he says, he says when when the, the human one comes, I'll talk about the human one in a minute. When the human one comes, it's not going to be ambiguous. He says it's going to be like lightning in the sky. You know, if you've been out in the, in the, the rains, a, a thunderstorm at night, you know, even if you're facing away, right, the, the lightning is back there someplace, but the clouds all light up that you can tell what's happening. You don't have to even be looking at it and you'll see it. So he says, he says it will be utterly unambiguous when the human one comes. He's not going to be hiding in a, in a closet someplace or off in the boondocks where no one can find him. He says, no, you, you will know when the, when the coming, when the human one comes. So, um, who is the human one? So, um, uh, um, the human one is this figure from, from Daniel's prophecy. So, so in the book of Daniel, Daniel says that he saw coming in the clouds, uh, one like a son of man, one like a human being, uh, who came before the Ancient of Days and received authority and dominion. So he says, Jesus is saying, that guy, the one that was foretold back in the book of Daniel, uh, when he comes, it will be utterly ambiguous when he comes. So he says, uh, he says you, you'll know it. And then he gives this really gruesome uh, illustration. He says, when vultures gather, the vultures gather wherever there's a dead body. So Imagine, you know, we, we have this problem today. There's a search and rescue party, right? A plane goes down someplace in Alaska, right? You know, this is in the news all the time, right? And so the search and rescue people go out and they spend four or five days poking around trying to find where it went down. So um, this is, and, and it, was a, it was a problem back then too. But what, what he's saying is, you would sometimes know because I have no idea. It's a big wilderness out there. I have no idea if there's a, if there's a dead body out there. But the vultures... They're up there. They've got a better vantage point. They've got great vision, and they've got a great sense of smell. So you can find out that there's a dead body not by poking around in the ground trying to you know trying to find it, not by looking in in the desert and in uh, obscure uh, inner rooms. He says, no, look up. You'll see the vultures, and then you'll know. He says, so it's 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 not the illustration I would have picked, but you know I'm not going to criticize Jesus. So it's a vivid. Let's call it a vivid. Illustration. So he says, the vultures gather wherever there's a dead body. You'll know that the Son of Man has returned. So he says, now, 
immediately after the suffering of that time. Now, there's all kinds of theories, you know. Uh, we've had 2,000 years to try and interpret this and put together timetables. He told us, don't put together timetables. So only the real kooks put together an actual timetable and say, you know, October 3rd or something like that. But uh, lots of people have said, okay, this is going to happen first and this. So they will kind of try and align a, a sequence of events. And they say, I don't know when it will kick off, but these are the things that are going to happen. So people have been doing that. People have been trying to put things together. So there's lots of ways to interpret this, and there's arguments in favor of, of all of them. So he's saying now immediately after the suffering of that time, what time is he talking about? He could be referring back to this period with the rebellions that the Romans would crush. There was plenty of suffering. He goes into that at some detail here. So uh, he could be talking about that. He's going back to his point. Or he could be talking about some future period of suffering immediately before the Son of Man returns. Or he could be talking about the entire period of time, that essentially there are, there are greater and lesser periods of suffering. But as long as we live in a fallen world, until Jesus returns to completely uh, finish the work of, of redemption, there will be suffering here in this world. So there's there's three broad schools of thought. But Jesus says, when that's done, when that's done, then um, uh, the sun will become dark, the moon won't give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and planets and other heavenly bodies will be shaken. And he says, then the sun of the human, the sign of the human one will appear in the sky, and at that time all of the tribes of the earth will be full of sadness. So. We'll come back to sadness. But uh, what does he mean by uh, all the tribes of the earth? He means everybody. He's, this is not something that's going to happen in, you know, the Middle East. It's not something that's going to happen in, you know, Rome or, you know, Louisville or um, Nashville or wherever else, right? This is not going to be localized phenomenon. This is going to be something people across the world, in every continent, every country, everybody will know that this is going on. They will see... Um, that all, all of the tribes of the earth will be full of sadness, and they will see the human one coming in the heavenly clouds with power and great splendor. Now, I don't know how that's going to work, right? If, if he comes in the clouds above Jerusalem, how will I see here in Alaska? Or vice versa, right? I, I have no idea. But since Jesus is referring to a vision that Daniel had of the human one, for all I know, God's going to give everybody who can't see it with their eyeballs, he'll give them a vision. I don't, I don't know. They will see, though. Jesus, that's, Jesus says that. They will see the um, the coming one, uh, the the human one, as he comes, and um, he, when he has arrived, he will send his angels uh, with the sound of a great trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from the four corners of the earth, from one end of the sky to the other. So that's the that's the um, that's the return. So he says, so that's from thence he shall come. But then there's that pesky second part, right? To judge the quick and the dead, because nobody wants to be judged, right? And you know, I mean, that doesn't, you know, if, if I tell you don't judge me, I mean, nobody would ever, no one would ever object to that idea. We, we hate the idea of being judged, um, because, uh, most of us are self-aware enough to know that, you know, I live in a glass house. I'll try not to judge you, but please, I don't want any rocks headed my way. So um, so we, we don't like to judge, and we don't like people who judge us. And so this statement that Jesus is going to judge everybody is very troublesome to us. It bothers us. Um, so so as we look at this, we can, we can, you know, we can accept with some, you know, I probably won't be around to, to see it, but okay, the second coming, I can, you know, I can, I've got a mental category for that, but the final judgment, I'm not 
too happy about. So um, I put an asterisk there for final because, uh, again, there are lots of different uh, schools of thought about how final and so forth that there's there's multiple so some 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 schools believe that there's multiple judgments and so forth some believe in a single final judgment so um i'm that's i have opinions but um i'm not going to even go there so eventually the judging will be concluded so let's collapse it all down and call that the final judgment no one wants to be part of that judgment because we don't like judging and um and yet that's what the New Testament makes it very clear when he returns, Jesus will judge everything. So if you're following along, that's the first point. Jesus is going to judge everything. And if you don't like it, um, well, you know, maybe maybe you've had bad encounters with our judicial system. Or maybe um, you have too much self-awareness. Or maybe you've got a distorted picture of who Jesus is. So, um, so there is that statement that he will judge. And he will judge everyone. So uh, in First Thessalonians, Paul writes that the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the su- signal of a shout by the head angel and a blast on God's trumpet. And then first the dead who are in Christ will rise. Then we who are living and still around will be taken up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. And I've got a million questions about that, right? I don't know how that's going to work. Um, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about it next week, but... but we won't resolve all the questions, I assure you. So, um, so I don't know exactly how that's going to work. Um, but, uh, in, in the book of Revelation, it says the sea gave up its dead. You know, they were not naive. They had questions too. They said, well, wait a minute. If somebody's lost at sea, you know, there's not much left. How can it give up its dead? Well, he, it's just a statement. The sea gave up its dead. So God's in charge of that and we'll see what, how that looks. So he says, um, that those who are dead will rise, and then those who are living and still around will be taken up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. So that this is going to be a, a universal judgment, living and dead, but not just people will be judged, that everything will be judged. Um, in Ephesians, Paul writes, this is what God planned for the climax of all times, to bring together in all things together in Christ, the things in heaven along with the things of earth, that everything would be part of this future judgment that not just not just the living and the dead but but the heavenly things and the the earthly things everything in heaven and earth and the person who's going to be making the the evaluation the one who's going to decide what is fit for the coming uh, the coming age is Jesus and you know the the reason for that is because as as the new testament promises there will be no more sign there god will wipe away every tear that that the 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 things that that bring sorrow and grief and pain here will not be a part of the age to come. That that's that's the way it is. And and so there are there are um, things in this world that will you know there won't be any hospitals. You know I, I assume. You know if so they only heal. Um, you know more people die in hospitals than any. But um, they're dangerous places. I can't. This is why some preachers use notes. Um, so, so they can get back on track. So, um, so he's going to bring together all things. So everything in heaven and earth, all things, because they need to be fit for the age to come. And so somebody's got to evaluate them. Somebody's got to evaluate them and decide what needs to be done. And there's going to be some things. It says every tribe on earth. So not every person on earth will look up with sadness, but every tribe within any group of people. There will be people who are sad because they are 
utterly opposed to God. Now, uh, one of one of our teachings in, in my tradition is that we are to have good hope for all, that there's nobody that we can say, no, that person deserves it, that we are to have good hope for everybody. But we know there are probably some people who we just say, I cannot imagine how how someone who is whose perspective on living, whose way of thinking about other people is compatible with the age to come. Now, it's not my place to judge, but I, my mind boggles at, you know, something like that. And, and yet we look at, you know, we look at the news, we see things coming, you know, out of Ukraine, and we just say, that's horrific, you know, and, and, you know, Ukraine is just the latest in a 2,000 year history of, of all of the, the things that bring grief to, um, this world. Um, so, how will that look? I don't know, but but the judge is Jesus, that he has been the one who has been given um, authority to to make those determinations. You know, I don't have that capability, but Jesus is the human one. He's been given the authority by the Ancient of Days. So that's, that's the statement, that there will be a, a universal judgment, not just of things on earth, but of things in heaven as well, that he will decide everything. And we can nevertheless look forward to that, not... With anxiety, we don't have to be anxious about that because our judge is also our redeemer. Jesus says, "My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never die, and no one will snatch them from my hand." Jesus says, "Because we have a relationship with Him." And notice, He's saying, "More importantly, I have a relationship with you." We've heard the language over and over again about God's chosen. That it's about that. It, that it's not simply up to us. That God can God can make a decision of His own, and there's that's a whole can of worms. But there's this idea that it's not about well, you know, I lost my faith, or I was in a period of doubt, or things like that. That there's this idea nothing can snatch them from His hand. So my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never die, and no one will snatch them from my hand. And because of that, we can have confidence. In uh, his first letter, John says, we can have confidence on Judgment Day. We can have confidence. You'll find people, you know, there's these uh, door-to-door evangelist types who will say, do you know where you're, you know, if you died today, where would you go, and things like that. Um, the answer is supposed to be absolutely, I know. I have confidence, not because of anything I've done, not because I've checked all the right boxes, not because of anything else, but because... Jesus has claimed me as his own. That's that's the the correct answer is supposed to be that. It's not supposed to be, you know, you should be anxious and you better, you know, sign here or give there or show up at this place or whatever. That the idea is supposed to be, no, you know because God sent his son to save you. So we can have confidence on uh, Judgment Day because we're exactly the same as God in this world. So you heard it here in church. You're exactly the same as God. In what way are you exactly the same as God? Well, the idea here is in, in that passage. He's saying that we're we're about love. That if if we we um, if the highest goal in our life is to oppress and exploit other people, if we think that's you know what is what is what is the what is the best in life to uh, to um, to crush your enemies, see them driven before you? If that's your perspective, then 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 you don't have the right attitude because God is about love. God God has nothing to fear, 
And so God is loving. He has no reason to, to worry about his enemies or anything because he has no fear. He says, we don't have to have fear. We are exactly the same as God. We can have confidence. We don't have to have fear because we're motivated by love. And I know not all of us are equally motivated, but, but if, if you're, if you're, highest goal, if the thing you're working on to get better at is oppression and exploitation and degradation, then yeah, you probably need some work. But um, but if at least you you kind of are oriented in the right direction and saying this is what I want to this is what I want to be, then you have no reason for fear. That is God's love living in you and there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear expects fun and punishment. And Jesus says because it's about it's it's about a relationship. He says um, uh, that that it's not about checking boxes. It's not about a particular type of behavior or a particular set of beliefs. He says uh, there will be people who are surprised on Judgment Day. There will be people people who say, "But look how religious we were. You know, we did all the things. We we prophesied in your name. We expelled demons in your name. We did lots of miracles in your name. Look how religious we were, Jesus." And Jesus is going to say. But I never knew you. He says that I don't know you. And so, if we are known by Jesus, then we can face Judgment Day with confidence that Jesus knows us and He can evaluate. Here's where you need some work, right? You know, like a doctor, or you know, you lose some weight or something like that. Jesus can can evaluate us. It's not a judgment. You know, it's it's an evaluation. It's a checkup. So, we can face judgment without conf- uh, with confidence. And the reason for that is because Jesus is, tr- is about the project of restoring the goodness of creation. The age to come will not have the things that cause us to sigh and um, are unhappy. So Jesus says, when these things begin to happen, instead of hunkering down and saying, it looks like it's going to be a bloodbath, instead of, instead of hunkering down, we can stand up straight and raise our heads because our redemption is near. We can look at the judgment as a redemption. And the language throughout the, the, the both the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament is is unceasingly superlative, that that its words fail. So in, in Isaiah, the, the prophet uh, says, look, I'm creating, speaking uh, for God, look, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. Past things won't be remembered. They won't even come to mind. That what we see unfolding in front of us as we stand up and raise our heads, we'll be so glorious we won't even remember the things of the past. The angel says in Revelation, he says, write this, favor to those who have been invited to the wedding banquet, that the only language that will suffice is is life's pinnacle experiences. You know, the the most important day of your life when you got married and and you know you had all your friends there to celebrate with you. That's that's an example or another example. He says they're longing for a better a better country that is a heavenly one. This is in the the letter to the Hebrews. He says if you've ever thought you know it has to be better you know this surely this is not what it's all you know is this it? He says if you've ever had that longing the the, the better country that someplace it must be better somehow it's got to be better than this that longing for a better country. This is the language that is used throughout the New Testament to describe the age to come. And the best part is that the best part is that we don't have to wait for it to occur. So we don't know when it's going to happen. You know, it could be another 2000 years. It's already been two, it could be four. 
Who knows? We don't know, but we don't have to wait. The best part about the age to come is it's already present. So the new creation is already and not yet. It's this idea that the, the, the age to come is overlapping with the, the present age. So Jesus says um, in uh, Luke's biography, he says, God's kingdom isn't coming with signs that are easily noticed. He says immediately. It's not immediately coming that way. Nor will people say, look, here it is or there it is. Don't you see God's kingdom is already here among you? That Jesus has brought his kingdom into being in his life and death and resurrection. So it's already present. He says, um, he says that the kingdom is present like um, yeast in a batch of dough. You can't see it, but you can see its effect. He says it's like a seed growing in the ground. Until it actually emerges from the ground, you don't know um, you don't know what it's doing or what it looks like, how big it is. Um, he says it's like a treasure in a field. You'll, you'll never spot it until one day you stub your toe on it. He says this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's already here. We don't have to wait for it. And because of that, because the kingdom is already here, nothing we do is futile. In, in the passage in Isaiah, he says, They, my people will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They won't build for others to live in, nor plant for others to eat. Like the days of a tree will be the days of my people. My chosen will make full use of their handiwork. That nothing we do now is lost. That that there is there is this idea that, you know, if if Jesus returns tomorrow, why should I do anything today? Why should I work to make the world any better? Why should I try to improve my own situation or my family's situation. Why should I do anything? And the reason is because nothing that is done in the kingdom of God is lost. That it will be transformed, and in in cases it will be refined and made better. But that's part of the judgment. When it says says everything in earth and heaven will be united, that everything we do is united and nothing is lost. We say, yeah, but 2,000 years... Really, you know, the things I do today, is that not going to be forgotten? You know, I mean, I'm going to be forgotten. No one will remember me in a hundred years, or certainly not in two hundred. I'll, you know, no one will remember me. I'll be bits on a hard drive in Google headquarters from our streaming service, right? <laughs> Nobody will remember me. Won't that be true of all of the things I've done with my life? And it's true. In time, we will all be forgotten, depending on, you know, he could return today, but assuming Jesus tarries, um, then yes, in time, all things are lost, but not in eternity. Things are lost in time. They are not lost in eternity. They are not lost with God. And so Paul says in his letter to Timothy, he says, I know the one in whom I placed my trust, and I'm convinced, because I know him, I'm convinced that he's powerful enough to protect what he has placed in my trust until that day. That that in the same way I trust him with me, I trust him with the things I've been doing as part of the kingdom. So I have plenty of confidence in God. He can take care of all that. So so what do we do? What do we do with the the, the idea of the, the kingdom of God coming but not yet? Paul says, let's not get tired of doing good because in time we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. He says that nothing we do is lost in Christ. We don't have to be afraid of 
God's kingdom. We don't have to be afraid of the judgment. We can look forward to it. We can raise our heads without fear. We can, as the saying goes, keep calm and carry on. Let's pray. Loving God, there is so much um, confusion and mischief over the, the details of what is still a very simple statement, that you did not send your son to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. When we have doubts, Lord, give us confidence. When, when we buy into, when we are persuaded by the, the ways of this world, help us to see the ways of your coming kingdom. Help us to work not to build it, but so that the things we do will be a part of it. We pray all these things in the name of our coming Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.